So Philippians 3. Um, so I grew up playing sports. I think some of you know that about me. And I was fortunate to go to a small school in a small town. And, and we, were a, we were even a small fish in a small pond. And so what that meant is um, any able-bodied um, person in the high school was basically going to make the soccer, basketball, and baseball team. And, and so, so uh, baseball is what I really enjoyed doing, but um, I pretty much had to play the other sports if I wanted. So, so I had a deal. I would commit to play soccer if some of those soccer guys would commit to play baseball because that's what I wanted to play. I wanted to play baseball, uh, but I had to, to do soccer uh, to get those guys to, to play so we could field a team. Well, you can imagine how our teams were with this kind of arrangement. That's not really a winning recipe. Uh, our soccer team was bad. Our basketball team was bad. Uh, our baseball team, well, we, we were bad. And, uh, and, and so I know what it's like to lose. I've been on the wrong end of the scoreboard a lot of times. However, um, and, well, I'll just tell you, I, I, I remember playing soccer, and there were, between 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, I think, I think we went those three seasons you're going to laugh. I think we went those three seasons without scoring a goal. It was like 5 nothing, 7 nothing, 8 nothing. I mean, we got beat like 11 nothing one time in soccer. If you know anything about soccer, that is just a beat down of epic proportions. In our 10th grade year, we got a foreign exchange student. <laughs> yeah. Man, folks in Germany care a lot about soccer. They care more about soccer than we do. And um, here we had one play our 10th grade year. Pass the ball to Hans. Pass the ball to Hans. Where's Hans? Get Hans the ball. And, and so um, Hans would score our goals, and we actually won a few games. Uh, and, and so that was fun. Um, I remember my senior year, I was pitching, and, and I was having trouble finding the strike zone, and, and I just had to focus in on the middle of the plate and just lay them in there. And um, there's a guy that hit a ball, and I'm, I promise you, it still has not landed. Like, like 25 years later, it still has yet to leave orbit. It's floating around somewhere near the International Space Station. Um, so I was on the wrong end of the scoreboard a lot. And I, I would say we, we had a culture of losing. Um, there were some highs, but mainly there were lows. And I tell you all that to say, I wonder if we have the same inferiority complex when it comes to our Christian walk. When it comes to our walk with Jesus, do we have a culture of losing? Do we sort of throw our hands up and say, you know, I, I, I've struggled with this sin all my life. I'm just, I just kind of expect that it's going to happen. Um, I expect to live defeated you know, I'm afraid virtually of, of everything, and I know God's calling me to do things, but I just am paralyzed in fear sometimes, and, and I'm just going to live my life in, in fear. Do we have this same losing culture in terms of our walk with Jesus? And what we've been asking ourselves the last few weeks is, what does our life look like five years from now? And if you want to answer that question, you have to back up and say, what does it look like three what does it look like one year from now? What does our life look like tomorrow? How are we going to embrace and learn the things of God and become closer to Jesus tomorrow than we are today? 
And, and I, would, I would just say to you that we celebrated Easter. We celebrated that the, the tomb is empty. And if there's any part of you that thinks you will continue to struggle with sin or continue to live defeated or continue to live in fear, then, then I sort of want to ask you a, a blunt question. Like, why did you show up on Easter? Like, why did you even dare to celebrate the empty tomb? Because what that is a proclamation of is that Christ has overcome the worst. He's overcome the worst that humanity, the, the, the worst sin that humanity could, could, could come up with is, is to crucify the sinless Son of God. And Jesus conquered that by submitting himself to the cross. In, in, in the book of Colossians, Paul says he disarmed the powers through submitting himself to this death. And then because of his obedience, Paul says in Philippians 2, Christ raised him up from the dead, and he conquered that sin. And so if you don't think that you can become a better follower of Jesus tomorrow or that your life can look different a year from now, then, then don't get a new outfit for Easter. And don't take a picture. And don't put it on Instagram. Because what the... What the empty tomb is saying is that our life can be transformed. What the empty tomb is saying is that the same power that raised Jesus up from the dead is at work in us and has the power to raise our lives as well. Not just when we die, but the, the life of sin that we live in, the life of, of succumbing to temptation, our, our, our flesh that is, is plagued by original sin, we can be enlivened, we can be awoken to the things of God and filled with the Holy Spirit, and our life can be transformed. That is what we were created for. That is what we were created for. And let me remind you of what you were created for. You remember when God went about the work of creation? He went through the we read this in Genesis, and he goes through the six days of creation. And on the sixth day, he created humanity, male and female. He created them, and he, he created them in his image. And what did he say of everything that he had created? He said, it is good. It is very, very good. And in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, we see humanity experiencing direct fellowship with God. This same fellowship that God has within himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was now extended to these beings created in his image. And he would go and walk with the man and the woman in the cool of the day, and they would fellowship in the garden. And because they were created in God's image, they would reflect God into creation. But, you know, there is this story about this snake that slivered into the garden and tempted the man and the woman to sin, and they did succumb to temptation. And that is an event we know as the fall. And it broke this fellowship that humanity had with God. But this fellowship is restored in Jesus Christ, and because of what God has done in the cross of, of Jesus and in the giving of his Holy Spirit, we can be a reflection again of our Creator. There was something in us that was marred by the fall. It was tarnished by the fall, but it was not totally obliterated. We are created in the image of God. We have hearts that are responsive to the things of God. And what God is wanting to do with salvation is, is to create in us a life that reflects Jesus to the world. 
And so as beings created in the image of God, we were designed to reflect God to the world. We were designed to reflect God to the world. This is what we were created for. This is what we play for. And this is how we win. How do you win as a Christian? That's the question that I am asking my team right now. I coach my youngest son. I coach his 11-year-old team. And this is our first year in this particular league that we're playing in. And we took one on the chin yesterday. We lost a game that we should have won. And I had to check myself to make sure I didn't lose my mind a few times. Because I know this team can do better. And I know they know what to do when they have a, a runner and a rundown. We worked on that. We just practiced that. But we didn't execute it yesterday. And, 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 and the preacher had to make sure he didn't lose his absolute mind because um, it, it, was not, it was not a fun experience. What do we do to win? What we do to win as Christians is, is we submit ourselves to the lordship of Christ so that our life reflects Jesus to the world. And so now we get to what Paul says in the book of Philippians. He's thinking about what their life can look like in the future. He's reminding them of what it takes to play to win in this Christian life. And he says this, verse 12, Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now what Paul is describing here is what we know as sanctification. It is exactly what I just talked about, this renewal of humanity in the image of God. It is that process where we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit begins to refine God's image in us. It's like a mirror. I want you to imagine a mirror that is dirty, and it has all kinds of debris on it, and it dust, and, and it looks to be just beyond repair and, and unable to fulfill the purpose for which it was created. And then the Holy Spirit goes to work in our life and begins to polish, begins to shine, begins to get rid of the dust and the debris that prevents the mirror from accomplishing the purpose for which it was created, and that is to reflect light. And that is what sanctification is. And Paul is saying that he's forgetting what is behind, and he is participating with God so, and pressing on towards this goal of Christ-likeness. Now, one of the things you have to remember when you read the Apostle Paul, many of you may be familiar with his story. He had this radical transformation, Acts chapter 9. He becomes a follower of Jesus. Between Acts chapter 9 and what he's writing here in Philippians is a period of at least 20 years. Let that sink in for a second. Because it's like 30 pages in our Bible. And it would take you... 40 minutes to read it from Acts chapter 9 to Philippians chapter 3. But it is 20 years of his life. He did not become persecutor of the church to super apostle for Jesus overnight. It was a, a process. And he's describing the process to the Philippians and he's saying, I press on. 
I continue to cooperate with the things God is doing in my life. There's more of Christ's image that needs to be reflected in my life. I need to reflect Jesus better tomorrow than I am today. And I want us to, to think for a little bit. Put your thinking hats on. I often hear people say things like, you have to let go and let God. Have you heard this phrase? You may have read it on a t-shirt, maybe on a bumper sticker. It's what we would call a big part of our pop theology. And, and I've even said that of, of myself sometimes. I, I, I've even given that advice to people who are going through different things. And I've said, hey, we've got to let that go. We've got to let God do what he does. You know, let go and let God. And, and I bring that up only to contrast it with what Paul is saying. Paul here does not appear to be saying, let go and let God. What is he saying? Press on. Keep moving forward. Keep, keep, keep pressing on. Forget what's behind you. You got to press on. You got to strain. You got to win the prize. You got to train. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Now, there's other places in Scripture that we can go to where we clearly see a more passive response to the things of God, where we are surrendering, we are letting go, we are taking our hands off so that God can do what only God can do. But here in Philippians, we don't get that. We get press on, keep moving. So which is it? Are we called to let go? Or are we called to press on? Are we called to let go? Or are we called to press on? And I think the key phrase here is, Paul says, I press on, taking hold of that which Jesus Christ took hold of for me. Let's lock in on that. As we think about, is it press on or is it let go? we have to be reminded that Christ has taken hold of our salvation. Christ has taken hold of our sanctification. Christ has taken hold of our healing. Christ has taken hold of our eternal destiny. He has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And this is what we must let go of. We must let go of this notion that we can stack up enough good things in life to redeem our past. All of us in here have a past. We all have a story of failure. We all have an example of how we let God and others down. And that guilt plagues us. And sometimes we think, oh, i got to stack achievement on top of achievement. I've got to make something of myself. And if I'll eventually make something of myself, it will negate all of this here in my past. And, and, and what Paul is saying is that we got to let go of that. Christ Jesus has taken hold of that. Have you heard the story of Peter? We walked through the story of Peter after Easter. There are things that Jesus did for Peter that Peter could not do for himself. He restored Peter. So, so that is what Christ has taken hold of for us. And so as I think about pressing on or letting go, what I can't get away from is this fact, and that we are called to press on and what we can do, and let go of what we cannot. We're called to press on in what we can do. This is what Paul's telling us to do. Press on. There's things that you can do. There's habits that you can embrace. There's practices that can inform your life. 
Don't give up on those. Don't forsake the assembly of the believers. Press on. Do those things that form and shape you to be like Jesus, but let go of the things that only God can do. Your salvation, your sanctification, your healing, your transformation, your guilt. Parents, you cannot save your kids. The salvation of your kids is in God's hands. It's something we have to let go. We're going to have a baby dedication in next service. And what Haley and Joey are saying to us as a church is we are dedicating this child. We are giving this child to God. And we are, we are entrusting this child's salvation and spiritual formation to God. And as a church, we are coming beside them and we are saying we're going to support them. We're going to stand with them. We're going to volunteer in the nursery, please. We are going to, we are going to stand with this family so that this child comes to know Jesus. That's what we can do. But ultimately, Leo is going to have to make a decision to follow Jesus. Ultimately, Leo's going to have to make a decision to follow Jesus, and that's something only God can do. And parents, you're probably remembering that moment where you stood in front of a group of people and you dedicated your baby to the Lord. And now you've got enough years behind you, and you get it. There's things that you can do, but there's things that only God can do. And if you have a child that's away from the Lord today, what I'm telling you is to let go. I'm telling you that you have to release that to God. You have to, you have to honor the promise that you made when you dedicated that child, when you put that child in God's hands. God, that child's in your hands. That child's 35 years old. That child's 40 years old now. God, they're still in your hands. That's something only God can do. So there's things that we have to let go of but then there's things that we press on. Paul's saying, let's press on. Press on. And as, as I hear him calling us to press on, I hear this call to, a, to the spiritual disciplines. We did this during the season of Lent. We talked about things that we can do to put ourselves in close proximity to Jesus so that we can be transformed. And, and spiritual formation author, his name's Richard Foster, he says this, God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. These are the things that we can do. You're here today. You're attending to your soul. You're fellowshipping with the people of God. This is a means of grace. This is what you can do. But it's God who transforms you. That's what God can do. So church, press on. Let's pursue Christ's likeness. Let's keep this as the, the goal of our lives. And can I share some good news with you? As you think about who Jesus is, this person who surrendered his power, this person who loved the unlovable, this person who welcomed the stranger, this person who forgave, this person who showed us the love of God, that sounds like an insurmountable goal, doesn't it? Pastor, I could never be like that. I could never fully be like Jesus. And sometimes this call to Christ-likeness, maybe it feels like a carrot on a stick. You know, it's just hanging out there. You see this example of Jesus, the, 
you hear preachers and you hear the church calling you to be like Jesus and there's this carrot on the stick and you can never quite reach it and it always just seems to be out of reach. And if that's what you think of when you hear this call to Christ-likeness, I want us to think of a different image, a, a, a different metaphor because the call to Christ-likeness is not the, the carrot on the stick that we can never achieve. Rather, it is, this, it is this dynamic of the Christian life. When we think about the call to Christ-likeness, what we are saying is there is a depth to the love of God and there is a depth to this reality that I'm created in God's image that is ever-expanding. There is new things about God that I can experience tomorrow that are not available to me today. And if I will press in, and if I will keep straining ahead, I will discover new things about God. I will discover new things about myself. I will realize gifts and talents I didn't have. Sins that I didn't know was present will be revealed to me. God will forgive me of them. He will restore me. He will extend his forgiveness. My knowledge of God's great love will be expanded as I receive more forgiveness. But I will be opened to missional opportunities and ways that I can bless people. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, you are making a decision to enter into this expansive life that is always becoming greater and wider. And, and, and it's an invitation to expand your imagination to fully understand how high and how wide and how deep and how broad is the love of God. And this love of God that you experience more and more can characterize your life as well. That sounds like something worth pursuing. That sounds like a worthy goal for your life tomorrow, a year from now, and five years from now. And so the reality is it's both. There are things in our life we're called to let go of, but there are means of grace and disciplines and ways of pressing on that we should embrace. And here's the good news. We can't lose. We are destined to win. We are destined to win. Let me read a passage for you. It's Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. John looks at heaven. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. This imagery here is imagery of victory. White robe is a robe of victory. Palm branches, that's what they would wave when a conquering king would come into town. They would cut down the palm branches and they would greet the conquering king and they would wave them. You may remember on Palm Sunday, that's exactly what happened. Because the people thought this is the conquering king coming into town and so they waved the palm branches. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then Jesus shows us how to win. And it's not the way conquering kings won back then. And it's not the way conquering kings win now. Jesus shows us how to win. He's the lamb that was slain. He's the lamb that was obedient to the will of the Father. And because he was obedient to the will of the Father, he was raised to new life. 
And because Christ has been raised, our lives will be raised as well. And I fast forwarded to the end of the book, and friends, we win in the end. We are destined to win. And so I think it changes this question about five years from now. Because whatever you think your life might look like in five years, as you bring your life into alignment with the will and the plan and the purposes of God, whatever you think it might look like, you cannot lose. You will win. You will win. Christ has promised that. So how does that change your plan? When you know you can't lose, when you know you're destined to win, when you know that God is with you, who can you become for Jesus? How much like Jesus can you become? What thing can you do for Jesus? What ministry can you engage in? How can you volunteer? How can you serve? How can you be generous? How can you pour your life out for Jesus and for the sake of the world? Whatever God puts on your heart, however he's leading you today, whatever step he wants you to take, friend, you can't win. I mean, you can't lose. You can't lose. You're listening, aren't you? Good. You can't lose. You can't lose, friends. You are destined to win.